The Bahamas is at a crossroad. Do we continue down the wide path which leads to excessive debt, wasteful spending, anemic economic growth, and structurally high unemployment? Or do we change course and take the narrow path through a thriving economy, increased economic growth, tangible investments in the nation's social and physical infrastructure, which includes new investments in education, hospitals, and homes, and the creation of good-paying jobs? The Davis administration has been given the opportunity to arrest these systemic declines and put the Commonwealth of the Bahamas on a path to real economic growth and development. The time for talk is over, for it is only by hard work that the profits are achieved, whereas mere talk will only lead to poverty. The team here at CFAL Talks wishes the Davis administration all the best and will be rooting for its success. We will, however, hold this administration accountable as we have done with the previous administration. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of CFAL Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFAL, and joining me in studio are Lachelle White, Investments Manager, and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst here at CFAL. In today's episode, we will take a closer look at the country's recently released fiscal strategy and debt management reports. We will look at the state of the Bahamian economy on September 16, 2021, and the current administration's plans to move the country forward. So, Angelo and Lachelle, let's just get right into the discussion. What was the state of the Bahamian economy at the time of the PLP's victory on September 16, 2021? Well, during that time, the Bahamian economy was slowly recovering um, from the pandemic. Um, We still had um, high case numbers and increase in case numbers, but due to um, vaccinations around the world, we were seeing more tourists come to our shore and that in turn caused um, a boost in economic activity in the tourism sector, which spilled over to other sectors of the economy. However, all was still not well. We still had very high debt and we still had um, high social payments because persons, everyone was still not back to work. So we were still struggling in a way, but there was some sort of light at the end of the tunnel that we could see. And there was some sort of improvement in the Bahamian economy. But back then, we had a far way to go, and we still do today. Yeah, I think you you saw that, you know, the and the former government, in hindsight, probably realized that they left um, an economy that was picking up momentum. I think we, you know, see the government speaking about how much ahead of projections um, revenues were. So the economy was recovering. Um, like Lachelle mentioned, you had high case numbers, but you know, slowly and slowly we're moving forward and, and learning to live with this. So it is in back in March 2020 when high case numbers meant people would stay home more and you would have less um, economic activity. So you began to see the recovery in revenues. Um, you know, there are the statistics that showed improvement, some of them due to external factors like the ex- external reserves, which were high um, primarily due to um, board reserves. But it's important, too, to look at the, you know, you're going to see a lot of year-over-year comparisons that look good. 
you're going to see revenues up 60%. This category is up 50%. But, you know, it's important to take them into context because the economy was shut down in 2020 um, and it just slowly opened. Even, you know, September 2020, I think we had a second wave when they reopened the borders and we ended up going back into some form of lockdown. So, you know, the 2021 numbers we're going to see are going to look very good. Um, Year-over-year comparisons are going to be good. Um, But, you know, we have to take that... You know, it's best to compare those numbers to where we were pre-pandemic because that'll give you a true picture of how um, the economy actually was doing. But but nonetheless, we, you know, the worst seems behind us. We are moving forward. We still have issues with high debt levels, um, you know, high social spending, and there's still a significant need uh, for social spending. So, you know, we're improving, but the issues are still there. And hopefully the government um, has the will and capability to do what's necessary to get us through this. Yeah, I agree um, with using a relative measure as opposed to the absolute measure to compare the numbers. So, for instance, when we were shut down and revenues were $800 million, and then now we are opened up and revenues become $1.2 million, someone can brag and say, well, you know, look at what we did. But if you look at revenues as a percentage of GDP to compare across um, periods, I think that's a better measure. So when I look at the deficit, the deficit um, was 26.7% of revenues, and that was deficit for the first quarter of fiscal 2021, 2022. Um, it was 26.7% of revenues, um, and then deficit over GDP was about 13%. I mean, that extremely high. And so going forward, the way I think we can measure or we can assess the Davis administration fiscal prudence is to look at these measures compared to what they met um, in place and see how they are progressing or not progressing as it relates to the fiscal position um, of the country. I also wanted to point out something um, that is alarming. When I look at the uh, interest expense, the public interest expense, I see it was at $97.62 million um, for the period, which is 13.44% of expenditure. And when I compare that to education during the same first quarter of 2021-2022, I see where education was $78.36 million. Um, this number for interest was even higher than social protection, which was $93 million compared to the $97 million. So we see where this increased level of debt that we are taking on is affecting precious resources that could be used in areas like education and social protection. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it it it's what people have been saying for years and, and it's now coming to fruition where, you know, you continue to take on more and more debt. It's just going to continue and to eat away at essential services um, that you need. And like I said, this is a time where you have so much need um, for social assistance, but at the same time, you have so much pressure um, from the standpoint of interest expense. And the government is continuing to take on debt. Um, you know, the revenues have not recovered and, you know, the government isn't going to cut expenditure 20% overnight in in any environment. So, um, you know, there's still a growing debt pile while interest expense continues to pile up. And so, like I said, while it's good that we're seeing the improvements, we have to keep in mind that there are still actions that need to be taken to arrest what's happening and, and get us on a more sustainable footing. 
I agree. Basically, we don't have any safety net in our economy. And even when times were good, we spent. When times were bad, we had to spend. Um, we were caught off guard by Hurricane Dorian. We were caught off guard by the pandemic. And basically, we had to increase our borrowing. But in times when we didn't have these issues, we continued to borrow and not spend the money appropriately. So now we find ourselves in this position where we need, we honestly do need the money, but we don't really have that capacity to borrow as we would have done in the past. So we we are in a very conflicting state and it will be it will be difficult um, to get out of this without making some hard decisions. Um, another statistics I think that is very important is our unemployment rate. And according to reports, as at September 2021, the unemployment rate stood at 24%. And I think it's going to be um, a number for us to watch. Uh, I want to see real reduction in that number. I want to see real good paying jobs. I want to see a more diverse um, economy, if all we are offering at the moment is um, the hospitality industry, which includes the hotels predominantly, then I think we will have a challenge. I think we have a generation of unemployed, and if we continue to have this, it's going to create even more social challenges um, for our country, which would lead to more um, lackluster or contraction in the economy going forward. Yeah, and I think, you know, Prior to the pandemic, we had issues with the tourism model, and, and I think it's been exacerbated now. I think we can see that tourism alone won't be enough to you know, fix what the pandemic has exacerbated. So we have to look at you know, the government. Um, you know, it has a good opportunity if it can to find ways to diversify and make the economy more, more dynamic, um, better paying jobs, um, you know, given what's going on, because... You know, the, the minimum wage jobs, the low end, the underemployment, you know, it's just not going to cut it um, with what we're faced with now. So from your view, tell us what is the broad context of the government's mid-year budget management and fiscal strategy reports? Well, the government um, described the fiscal strategy report as a grand plan um, that it will use to create and adjust future budgets. So basically, um, the reports are a plan for reviving the economy and improving the country's fiscal health. And the documents that were released would outline the current state of the Bahamian economy and what measures would be taken um, to improve our fiscal health, um, to improve economic growth. So basically, I think that this is... um, a legislation that was passed um, during the previous administration. Um, so it's supposed to be um, like a precursor to the, the national budget. Um, but I do not think that they will be debating these reports in the House. They will debate the the budget. So there's like a lot of different um, variables around here. So you have these two reports and you have the budget reports. And I think um, it is important for us to get like where we can go for one source of information for one grand plan to see what we're going to do rather than getting lost in all of these um, numbers and um, different reports. We just need, we need a focus um, if we are going to turn this economy around. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's the usual terms you hear, you know, it's a fiscal consolidation and, and being responsible and, you know, we're going to fix what was messed up and what was left. Um, But I, I think the reports themselves were, 
were well done. I mean, they're pretty extensive and pretty long. Um, you know, I think we need to find a way to summarize and, and cut out a lot of the, the fluff and just give the hard information that's needed. But, you know, the government spoke about debt management. It, I think it did a good job in listing its debt exposures, like how much debt is due in the next year, how much interest expense, how sensitive the government is to increases in interest rates as interest rates continue to go up now. And, you know, they spoke about things such as um, where they want to get the deficit um, to be as a percentage of GDP. And I agree with, you know, the notion that the deficit would not be larger than the growth of the economy, which is a sustainable um, means of, you know, deficit spending. But, you know, the only way that's going to happen is if the government can somehow get a control on recurrent expenditure, um, you know, get more of the budget to be from a capital expenditure pers- um, perspective to the point where, you know, if there's some sort of um, slowdown, I mean, you know, you, you don't want to always cut capital expenditure, but, you know, if you have a budget of, say, 600, 700 million for capital expenditure and you need to cut by 50 million to get your deficit in line, you know, it's much easier to cut capital expenditure than it is recurrent expenditure. And I think that's the problem we've had. So much of the budget is tied up in recurrent expenditure that we can't get control on it and, and get it under wraps. So we just continue borrowing, borrowing, borrowing. Um, during, no matter what economic period we're in, um, whether it's recession or good times, we still find ourselves borrowing to pay salaries. And so if the government is serious about getting there, it's going to have to make um, some changes. I think putting things in, into perspective, at the end of March, uh, at the end of December, sorry, 2021, the national debt stood at $10.48 billion. That's the national debt. And that includes government direct borrowing and contingent liabilities. And for those who are listening and may not understand what contingent liabilities are. These are loans that are guaranteed by the government. So the um, the Mortgage Corporation of the Bahamas, um, BEC or BPL or the Ward and Sewage Corporations, they um, were issued loans and the government guaranteed those loans. And only $400 million of this $10.4 billion is contingent um, um, liabilities. And it, with a with a national income or GDP of nine point nine billion dollars, we are at over a hundred percent in debt to GDP, which is a key metric that people use to measure your fiscal um, position. And so, when the government has reset its fiscal targets, because initially um, it was to be that by twenty twenty one. 20, 2021, 20, we would have, um, they would strive to have a fiscal balance for deficit of 0.5% of GDP and for debt, 50%. So to get from a 100 to 50%, and now they are giving themselves a target of 2024, 20, 2025, that's three years down the road. Um, to get from 50 to, from 100 to 50, that's aggressive. That's very aggressive in terms of bringing the level um, of debt down. And that would mean we would have to substantially grow our revenues or, and or substantially cut our expenditure. So I see that as very aggressive. And, and, and um, I know that they um, have articulated that they want to bring it down to those levels, but I'm not exactly sure how we're going to arrive at it. 
Yeah, I I also think that, that it is very aggressive. And you mentioned two things um, that we have struggled to do in this economy, which is grow, increase revenues, um, and reduce expenditures. Those are the two key things we need is economic growth and a reduction in expenditure. And we have struggled to do that over the past few years. It seems to be um, structural in our economy that we continue to spend, but we're not able to to cover our expensive. And that's essentially what it is with a debt to GDP that is over 100%. We're basically earning less money than we have, have borrowed. So we are going to have quite a task in paying that back. And um, with the current trajectory of the economy, with the current makeup of the economy, I just don't see how we can do it. It is possible, but we do. We're going to need. Um, we're going to need a, a holistic plan to basically put this economy back on track and continue. We're going to have to aggressively grow, and that is not something in the current structure of our economy that we will be able to do. So the government announced a significant reduction in the deficit. What contributed to this contraction and what plans are in place or proposed to trim the deficit further? So the the deficit itself would, would have naturally um, began to decrease once the economy was reopened. Um, and, you know, the deficit is simply revenues minus expenditure. So while expenditure during the pandemic stayed relatively stable, we had this large fall off in revenues because... You know, a lot of places were closed. A lot of activity was su- suppressed. So just naturally opening the economy, um, you would expect that there would be this bump up in um, revenues as businesses open. You're seeing the tourism numbers come back, both from an air perspective as well as sea. Um, so all of that is, you know, providing a um, a bit more revenue for the government. But you're also seeing or they anticipate that some of the social spending is going to fall away. So you've seen, while there's still a food program, I guess it's not to the scale that it was during the peak of the pandemic. So the expenditure there is expected to go down. There's also the unemployment benefit that was stopped at the end of December. So all of these things are areas where the government foresees that expenditures are going to go down while as the economy um, rebounds, revenues are going to come in. So, you know, it's kind of a natural play on the economy um, and the reopening. And you're seeing it all around the world, governments um, touting revenues recovering. Yeah. So I think that, as Angela mentioned, when tourism bounced back, that basically created more activity in the economy. So you had persons who maybe were reengaged on their jobs. So now that they have more money, they have more discretionary income, they were able to maybe make um more purchases um, in the store, which would have been also increased um, the government's VAT receipts. So in addition to the government collecting um, more money in tourism-related ta- um, taxes, they also collected more money in VAT because persons were just, they were shopping more and because they didn't, because they had jobs and they had more job security. But um, in terms of the social spending, that would have gone down a bit because the program's were cut, um, essentially. So you had a reduction in expenditure at the same time. So yes, the deficit would have naturally um, declined. Now, I don't know how sustainable that is um, because we are still in a pandemic. And at any moment, I mean, we got um, a little, we had the Omicron variant, which was really, um, while it didn't affect people as much 
um, physically, it still was a lot of, of cases and it just basically caught us off guard because this is during the busy holiday season. So we had a lot of high case numbers um, throughout the beginning of the year. So we have to be mindful of that. Also, we have global inflation and food prices have just gone up tremendously. So while you may have cut um, social spending and social benefits, there are persons who that $50 that persons get from social services, it simply cannot buy as much as it did last year. So the government may have to um, look at that. And so social spending, you just can't say, well, we um, cut this and this is going to, our revenues are going to reduce. There are certain things that you just won't be able to cut. And we also have to realize that this, like we say, like Angelo um, made a good point earlier, that you are basically comparing apples to oranges. So in 2020, we were in a really bad state. The economy was just stagnant. So of course, the numbers in 2021, as the economy was reopened, are going to look better. So I just think that um, our government has to be mindful of that. Um, There are still challenges out there. And we can't just sit on our heels and say, oh, the numbers are looking very pretty because it could only be um, it could only be short term. Like we have to know is this this may not last in the long term, and they have to be prepared for it. You both mentioned a rebound in tourism, um, and a lot of emphasis um, is being placed on tourism. Uh, do you think too much emphasis is being placed on tourism to really carry this economy? And does more tourists mean economic growth more in terms of economic growth? Well, I, I, I think it, it's, you know, a short-term thing. Um, the politicians themselves, they've, you know, when you get elected, people expect you to do things for them. And for in a lot of cases, the quickest thing is tourism. The, the simplest thing is to get a tourism project signed, get a hotel reopened, get staff. You know, people come to you, hey, I need a job. They're like, you know, okay, we can find this quickly. We know this works, even though we know it isn't sustainable long-term. Um, you know, and there's ebbs and flows, you know, this this is the quickest thing. So, you know, I naturally expected, even from pre-pandemic, well, during the pandemic, that as soon as we get this tourism product back up, they're going to go full speed ahead with this. And you're still seeing most of the developments being spoken about um, being tourism related. And so, you know, unfortunately, it is, you know, that's the economy we live in. And, and we haven't been able to break out of that. We Mention other areas, um, you know, agriculture. We always hear about BAMSI and BAIC and those areas, but you know, it, it never really gets the focus that tourism gets. And you know, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think our blueprint for tourism. We've been doing it so long that we continue to recycle it, and we don't continue to even in tourism. We could expand um, our tourism industry. But we continue to rely on the same old, same old because it's easier, it's quick, and we don't focus on the other industries that could do as well. Angelo mentioned agriculture. We need to learn. I mean, we've said this before on this podcast. We need to learn how to feed ourselves. I find that food, um, vegetables at the farmer's market is much cheaper than vegetables at the, at the grocery store. But are you giving these farmers... Um, are you giving them enough support so that they're able to grow food on a grand scale to feed us? And maybe we won't be so impacted by um, the global inflation that is happening right now. So I do think that we need to sort of shift our focus away. Yes, tourism has been very good to us for the past 
few decades, but we also, we need to like sort of grow up and grow out of that model and build a more sustainable economy. I agree. Tourism is important because we need the foreign currency um, earnings, but then at the same time, we need to focus on other areas, other supplement areas. You mentioned agriculture. I mentioned fisheries, you know, um, going to, you said that at the farmer's market is cheaper, but I have experience with buying. I love seafood. I love conch. And conch for me is like bread in some people's house. I keep conch in the refrigerator, in the freezer. Whenever I'm doing a dish, I like, to, I like the flavor of the conch. And it's very expensive. You know, I purchased um, 10 pounds of conch the other day for over $100, right? Um, and I, I bag them up and, you know, keep them in, in, in the freezer. But it's, it's very expensive. And then I was experimenting with hogfish. You know, and you go to the dock and they want to charge me the price um, similar to what they charge for Grupo. You know, so I think, yeah, th- these industry, spinoff industries are very um, important. But at the same time, I think government needs, there needs to be oversight and support from government inside these industries to, to do something. I'm not saying to control prices, but I think it's exorbitant. And so while you may not be able to f- afford the fresh beef from overseas, you still cannot afford the local fish um, and conch um, in, in our waters because they are just far too too expensive. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, because the cost of living here is high as well, you, you find that people generally require higher prices. Like, um, you know, when I lived in China, um, you know, the, the farmers, where they lived, it was very, very cheap. So their wages were kind of very, very low, and they were able to keep the prices of of those commodities um, down, like potatoes, for example, was, were very, very cheap in China. So like you said, you know, it's a bit difficult. You would think that some homegrown things should be a bit more um, affordable. You know, I always say if, you know, the borders close and we can't import meat and, and beef, we just have to eat fish. But if, if the fish is so expensive, you know, in many cases, um, and I know economists, um, you, he always said, you know, does it make sense just producing something at home, just to say you produce it, if it's more expensive than you're going to be importing it for, you know. So we have to look at ways to get the cost of these things down, even if the government does grants, whereby, you know, the electricity for some of these farms is through a solar grant where the electricity is free, and so they can lower the cost. But we have to look at innovative ways to bring the cost of domestic goods down, because like you said, that not only provides jobs and incomes, but it saves reserves and makes us less dependent on um, tourism itself. And help to diversify our economy as well. Angela Lichelle, we have come to the end of the first part of this discussion, taking a look at the Bahamas Fiscal Strategy Report and Debt Management Strategy. Thank you so much for your contribution to the discussion and thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please send us a note at info at or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you, CFAL, for sponsoring this episode. Until next time. <music>